Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Akusia Ochri. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. If cash not taken, this simple act will go into the Guinness Book of Records. Because we can say this for a simple reason that when you are in a hole, you have to stop digging. But this government will never stop digging. And they keep digging and digging and digging. <laughs> $710 million, that's how much Parliament approved in loans at just one sitting today to add up to a national debt stock. We'll hear from both sides of the House on why this had to be the case. Also coming up, state prosecutors filed fresh applications seeking to have Atu Asian of defunct Capital Bank jailed after failing to pay back monies to the state as promised in open court. And later on Eyewitness News, former President John Dramani Mahama is on the campaign trail Tonight, he is promising to fix the free SHS system. We'll touch base with his campaign, plus other flag bearer aspirants in the other party. There's a new patriotic party. Still with 97.3 CTF of more this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Ghana Association of Banks reiterates need for in financial institutions to employ ESG principles to attract more funding. That's in 15 minutes from the business desk of CTFM and CDTV. Eyewitness News is coming to you from number 11, Dr. Martin Loop in Adabraka. In Accra, we are live across the globe on citynewsroom.com. We are live on Facebook. We are live on citynewsroom.com. We are live on YouTube. Across Ghana, we are on a number of affiliate stations, including Adwinpa 100.7 FM in Takwa, Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi, and Sky Power 93.5 FM also in Takradi. We are in the Bono region on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani, in the Ashanti region on Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi, and Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. In the Volta region, we are on Revival 99.3 FM in Tajavu, VOV Radio 95.7 FM in Hawaii. In the Northern region, on Radio Bimila 91.9 FM in Upper East, on Quality 88.7 FM in Garu. In Upper West on Tungsun 97.3 FM in Wa and Jirapa FM 96.1 also in Jirapa. You can join the conversation by sending your messages to 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. Let's start off with Capital Bank. It is no more a bank. It's defunct now. But it was at the center of controversy. In fact, it was part of the first set of two banks that were collapsed by the government during the restructuring in the financial sector. It went down with UT Bank, so there was Caput, Capital and UT Bank. Subsequent to that, uh, the state brought charges against people who were running that bank. Imanu Atu Asien uh, was in the helm of affairs as CEO of the then bank, defunct Capital Bank. He was taken to court. Eventually, he was found guilty of uh, causing financial loss to the state and he was supposed to pay monies to the country or go to jail. There was an agreement within him and the state where he was to pay monies to the state instead of going to jail. That money that he was supposed to have paid back, 90 million cities, he confessed to having stolen that money after he entered into a plea bargain with the state under Section 35 of the Courts Act. He did not go to jail, the judge was not was furious that day, but still had to let him go because that was the agreement that was arrived at between his side and the state. He was supposed to make an initial payment of 30 million cities. He did that to the state. He was supposed to pay some 60 million subsequent to that in three tranches. The first, which was supposed to have been paid by 28th April 2023. Tonight, we are learning that he has not made that payment and the state is unhappy. Hansen Ajiman is our court correspondent. Hansen, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. I've tried to summarize for our listeners uh, the brief background to this story. Unless I've missed out some other things, you can please share with us uh, what I may have uh, omitted in my, my summary of the facts and then share with us what the latest information is. 
Precisely as you've stated, Sanda, the case had to do with the banking sector cleanup. Now, the plea bargain, as you've talked about, was entered under Section 35 of the Court Act. Now, Section 35 of the Court Act indicates that when one is charged with an offence before the High Court or Regional Tribunal, the commission of which has caused economic loss or harm or damage to the state or any state agency, the accused may inform the prosecutor whether the accused admits the offence and is willing to offer compensation or make restitution and reparation for the loss, harm, or damage caused. Now, uh, somewhere in December last year, days before the uh, judge could come out with his judgment on this case, Atreusian went directly under this section and indicated that he accepts guilt, he has stolen 90 million Ghana cities from the state, and instead of taking a custodial sentence, he wants to go under this to make a restitution and reparation and then rather pay 90 million Ghana cities. Now, the judge had written his judgment before he got to know about this deal, so he was not happy. If you remember initially, the judge said he was not going to accept this because one in his view, the offense that or the actions of Atwood does not necessarily result in uh, causing financial loss to the state and two, the amount of money he intended to pay was not enough to cover for the cost that the government or the amount of money in totality the government said he had stolen. So he gave them time to confer and negotiate further. When they came back, the Attorney General's office, through the Deputy Attorney General, tried as much as possible to convince the judge that this is the best deal that they've been able to get and that Atwesian started below 30 million Ghana cities. And so to them to have for them to have been able to push the amount to 90 million, that's enough money. And also, if you look at the other point that he will be handed a custodial sentence and they will not have to go and look for his properties and value them and put them on auction before they're able to retrieve the money, that will be a hideous tax for the state that they may never even be able to recover the amount of money. Having been convinced, the judge agreed to this deal. Now, on the day of agreeing to that deal, Atwisian paid 30 million Ghana cities, meaning that it was left with 60 million Ghana cities. Now, the so the 60 million was made into three tranches. So he was supposed to pay 20 million by 28th April, uh, 20 million by the end of August, another 20 million by the end of December. The terms of the deal was that at any point in time he feels in meeting the payment timelines, the state can bring him for the judgment to be substituted for a custodial sentence. Now, this step that has been taken by the state standard is not surprising because at a time when a number of people had raised concern as to why the state would go in for such a deal, the Attorney General's office through the Deputy Attorney General had always communicated that if Atuf Asian defaults even one Peswa after April 28, they were going to make sure that a custodial sentence is entered for him. Now, I spoke to the Deputy Attorney General last week when news of the new CJ came up, when I engaged him on what he makes of the new CJ. I tried inquiring from him because that was the, the, the next, the following day, which was a Friday, was the 28th, which will be the deadline for which he was supposed to make the payment. And he indicated to me that, yes, all their arsenals are ready, all their waiting is for 28th, but because 28th was a Friday, and the Monday was 1st May, which will be a holiday, his thinking is that they can only confirm whether or not he has paid by 2nd May. And immediately they confirm that he has not made those payments, they are going in to make an application for a custodial sentence to be entered. So it is, it is not surprising that just moments after Tuesday when the Controller and Accountant General's Department communicated to the Attorney General's office that 
Atu Eastern had not made a payment of 20 million Ghana cities, they immediately uh, put in place the application for the sentence to be substituted for custodial sentence. Now, what this means is that it has to be served on him. Do you know if that has already happened? Any reaction from his side? Do we know when the court will be moved to deal with this matter? Is it the same court? What do we know? Well, we are yet to get to know if the matter actually has been served on him. But uh, we are well aware that on the risk as we have seen, the case has been uh, scheduled to be moved on April 11. And so uh, we are unaware the, 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 the judge who would sit on this particular matter as of now. But what we know is that the state has filed the application and the a date has been set, which is 11th of May 2023, for the parties to be heard. Very well. Uh, you were also in court today for the Sami Okujetua Blackwa uh, case. Can you tell us what happened? So the court outrightly dismissed the contempt charges brought against Norton uh, MP Samuel Okujetua Blackwa. The judge, in coming into the conclusion, indicated that the supposed bailiff who served the writ or the processes on Samuel Okujetua Blauka, based upon which he refused and kicked the papers which the plaintiff or the applicant here uh, thought amounted to to uh, contempt of court in the first place, was not a certified belief of, of the judiciary. Now, based, he based on a directive that had been given by the Chief Justice that only certified workers of the judicial service can't serve risk on persons who have been queued. And it was proven that this particular belief was not a worker of the judiciary. And so the first level is that if he is not a worker of the judiciary, then he doesn't have the capacity enough to even serve the processes on Okujita Blaka for his reactions to, in the first place, constitute contempt of court. Now, the second thing was that Okujeto, at the time he was being served purportedly, had raised the issue about parliamentary immunity, which states that a member of parliament cannot, while undertaking his parliamentary business or on his way to parliament, be served with court processes. And because this case has come up in a number of times, and there have been some guidelines on how it should be done when you want to serve a member of parliament, i.e. going to the office of the Speaker of Parliament, for the office of the Speaker of Parliament, to make the said member of parliament available for questioning, investigations, and whatsoever. The court indicated that the supposed bailiff breached the processes or breached the parliamentary immunity that is enjoyed by the third angle is that this contempt charge, even though it was brought by an application made by a private citizen, which is um, Reverend Kusi Boatin, it had the same test as any other criminal test, which is that you have to prove your case beyond reasonable doubt. And any form of doubt or inconsistencies material to the facts that you produce should rather inure to the benefit of the respondent or defendant here. Now, the inconsistencies as were identified by the court were that one, the belief indicated that Okujito Ablaka was served at the premises of Metro TV. The fact and the statement as was presented to the court was that he was served in his car. Now, the judge couldn't reconcile the two as to which of them is the case, whether he was served on the premises of Metro TV or he was served in his car. The second inconsistency had to do with what exactly he was served with. Now, the belief indicated that he served issues such statements and documents relating to the defamation case. 
But on the statement relating to the contempt, he was rather served with a, an injunction notice. And so on that same level, the court is unclear what exactly the applicant is seeking to prove that he served the uh, defendant here or respondent here, Samuel Okujeto Ablakwa. The last thing was that there was no proof of service. And so even though you went to serve him with the processes and he disagreed or he did not uh, take these documents as alleged, there was no proof by the bailiff or the supposed bailiff himself indicating that at this time, at this particular time I went to this place, I gave this to Honorable Okijitua Blackwa and he did not accept and I signed and I confirmed that this is what happened. Nothing of a sort existed on the uh, before the court. And so in this, the judge indicated that the applicant failed to prove the case beyond reasonable doubt, dismissing the case and therefore slapping Reverend Victor Kusibuaten with a fine of 10,000 Ghana cities. I see. So, so that's the end. Now, if there's any other thing, it can proceed for now. That's the end of this particular case, isn't it? Well, so the substantive case, which is the defamation suit against Honorable Kujetua Blakwa, will continue. Um, we know that this defamation case came about as a result of some revelations made by Honorable Okujeto Ablakwa to the fact that Victor Kusibuatin was operating under the same name, under another name as Kwabina Edujemfi, for which he used to register a company, the company which got a contract, uh, some government contract, and also that same company gave some money to the National Cathedral Secretariat, which the National Cathedral Secretariat returned to him. So Honorable Kujetua Blakwa has been alleging an issue of conflict of interest and also double identity for which the issue of conflict of interest he has already sent a petition to Shrad to investigate. Based on this, Victor Kusibatin the Reverend went to court saying that he has been defamed. And so the substantive case with respect to defamation will continue. At the next agenda date, the idea is that the matters or the issues for determination will, will be settled when the defamation case will, will start in NS. Very well. Thank you so much, uh, Hansen. Please do follow the story. And uh, if there's some developments you share with our listeners, Hansen Ajiman is our court correspondent. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And the North Town Member of Parliament, uh, Samuel Kujitwa Blakwa, spoke to the media after today's uh, mini victory or big victory. It depends on how you're looking at it. Listen to him. I'd like to, first of all, thank the Almighty for this significant juncture in the series of exposés that we have been carrying out. I would also like to thank the National Democratic Congress, led by our General Secretary, and most importantly, my colleagues in the House, who have really stood by me throughout. I would like to thank all of them, and also the people of Ghana, who have remained resolute behind the truth and behind justice. Clearly the judgment is very sound. You see that even in the case that they brought, it was fraught with all kinds of inconsistencies, irregularities. You had the erudite judgment of the respected judge. At this point, we want to make it clear that what we are doing by way of exposing the rot and the canker it's not just for partisan gain, as our General Secretary has said. It's about the soul of our country. It's about truth, it's about justice, and it's about protecting the public purse. We cannot have people conduct themselves in ways that brings not only our country, but even the Christian faith into disrepute. People hiding under the cover of religion to perpetrate crime. We cannot accept that. And that is what continues to drive us. So we want to assure you that we remain unperturbed. We have rather been motivated by the series of developments. 
So that's Northern Member of Parliament, the Honorable Samuel Okujeto Ablakwa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. And now talking about Okujeto Ablakwa, he has been on another expose spree. He has been sharing on his social media timelines uh, some investigations he said he has conducted into the National Cathedral. And uh, he has been publishing that variously about some of the, what he described as shocking findings that he, he made. Uh, having traveled to the United States of America and and so on. Uh, he calls it the latest National Cathedral expose, the American edition for God and country. And he shares photographs and uh, some work that he said he has done in relation to um, the, the, the engagement with some companies that are involved in the National Cathedral. If you go to our website, citynewsroom.com, uh, we have uh, some more on that particular story. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And when we come back, $710 million. That's the latest figure that Parliament has just approved in loans for the Republic of Ghana. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You all come back. Now, Parliament has approved a loan agreement between the government and the World Bank for an amount of $200 million to finance the Ghana Digital Acceleration Project. The House also approved an amount of $150 million for the financing of the West Africa Food System Resilience Program, which is under Phase 2. It is further uh, approving a loan agreement for an amount of $60 million $600,000 as third additional financing for the Ghana COVID-19 Emergency Preparedness and Response Project. Parliament further approved an on-lending agreement between the government and the Development Bank Ghana for an amount of 170 million euros to support the establishment of a financially sustainable development bank. Part of the loan agreements approved is a $150 million facility from the World Bank to finance the primary healthcare investment project and an amount of $150 million to finance the public financial management for service delivery program. Here's Minority Leader Dr. Kaysel at a forcing. Of $710 million US dollars. Today, $710 million US dollars. The speaker, at the time, the country is in debt distress. At the time, 710 million, million. The speaker, at the time that the country is in debt distress, defaulted in, in, in debt repayment, both domestic and external. The speaker, if cash not taken, this Simpler act will go into the Guinness Book of Records. I said this for a simple reason that when you are in a hole, you have to stop digging. But this government will never stop digging. And they keep digging and digging and digging. That is my concern, and that is why I'm saying we may go to Guinness Book, we may go into the Guinness Book of Records. As the only country on earth, where at the time that they are in debt distress, they keep continuing, they, 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 they keep digging and adding on to their debt and adding on to the debt. I hope and pray that they will learn from it going forward. But let it be noted, let it be noted that this minority, the NDC minority, voted against those laws. Let it be noted. And let them carry their own cross. From the Speaker, whilst we were, we were on recess, one issue that dominated public discussion and got many of our citizens worried about our environment and the collective survival as, as, as people, Mr. Speaker, centered around the leaked report on the state of illegal mining in Ghana. Mr. Speaker, the said report, which was authored by the former Minister of Environment and Chairman of the Defunct Interministerial Committee against illegal mining, upon the request of the Chief of Staff to the President, revealed solid details about the government's fight against illegal mining in our country. Mr. Speaker, the ongoing discrimination 
and the unbridled destruction of our forest reserves, natural resources, rivers, and water bodies in, in search of gold and other minerals has never been lost on the people of Ghana. Mr. Speaker, the house, this house has approved millions of US Ghana cities for the fight against illegal mining. However, what came as a shock to many of us confirmed in the report is the overwhelming evidence which shows the extent of official complicity in the Kanka. Mr. Speaker, indeed, this report has confirmed the state itself has been involved in this illegal menace. Mr. Speaker, this report indicts many in government and provides both material and collaborative evidence that this House cannot ignore. Mr. Speaker, this damning verdict comes on the heels of a similar recent investigation by Al Jazeera News Agency. Many have raised questions over the recent link between illegal mining activities in the country and this international gold smuggling syndicate in what looks like an organized crime, Mr. Speaker, sadly. Indeed, clear variations between reported volumes of gold that leaves the shores of Ghana lately and what is declared by the official authorities leads lends credence to the fact that something interesting is happening. So Dr. Kesalato Forsing is the leader of the minority side in parliament. So let's now listen to Deputy Finance Minister Dr. John Kumar. Um, our recall today um, was to complete an important assignment of loans that we have contracted um, previously, but we've not been able to ratify in Parliament. Let me put on record that the facilities that were approved today are not new loans. These are not new loans or new facilities. These are loans that are already on our books and required parliamentary approval, but we were unable to do before we, we rose the last time. Um, one of them is the World Bank International Development Association support for our public sector uh, reforms uh, and then the digitalization agenda of government that they are supporting with some facilities. Um, we also had to reallocate some funds from the Afriesen Bank, the $750 million we took last year. We needed to reallocate some of the funds to some more priority projects of government. So these are not new loans. These are some of the reallocation we did and to approve the already uh, made available funds to Ghana but which Parliament had not been able to uh, approve. Finally, we also looked at the EIB facility of 170 million euro, which was unlent to Development Bank of Ghana, DBG. So Parliament needed to approve that uh, process as well. These are loans we have already taken on our books. So Parliament just approved the unlending agreement between Government of Ghana and DBG. So we just want to put on record that government is not taking new facilities. These are loans we have already contracted on our books and required parliamentary approval. So that's what we want to put on record. Thank you very much. Well, I don't know where you did the calculations from, because there are different amounts. Um, I don't know about that figure, because I know about the 170 million from the European Investment Bank for DBG. I know about... 500 million from the World Bank Group for the various projects on digitalization and other interventions in the financial reform side. And then also um, the reallocation, the 750 million, we did 98 million of that money on reallocation for the Swami Interchange. This is to fast track some of the projects that uh, government consider as priority. So these are the facilities that we touched on. They are not new loans. These are loans that are already on our books by required parliamentary ratification. Dr. John Kumar is a deputy finance minister. This is News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's go to the Yape Kusau constituency and speak to the representative of the people there, Honorable John Abdullah You're welcome to Eyewitness News, sir. Thank you very much. Your leader lamented and made so many, uh, raised so many issues about the state of affairs in the country, saying 
that we are currently in a hole and we should stop digging. And yet, the House approved $710 million extra on our books. Even though I've just heard John Kumade explain that it's not a new loan agreement. Is that really the case? Thank you very much. First of all, it is not true that the House unanimously approved those loans. If you first of all look at the committee report, it will tell you that it is by majority decision. It is a committee report that would normally inform the House as to where to go. And the committee report would attest to the fact that the minority side objected. And so the majority carried the day by one single vote. It was the same with the taxes in Parliament. Despite the resistance we put up, calling for a headcount, all those draconian, inimical taxes that would very soon burden Ghanaians, all of them were passed by the majority side. So today, the voice vote would clearly indicate that the minority side, we give an emphatic no, but the speaker gave it to the majority side because they have the numbers. And so if anybody wants to blame the majority for the recklessness of this government, for the insensitivity and the incompetence of this government, I think that it would be very, very unfortunate and unfair. All right. So you did not agree to the loan, but you sat in the chamber. Um, would you not have, or was there a better way of um, refusing to take part so that if you had staged the walkout, it would be evident that you were not part? If you had gone to the ballot box to vote again, then that would be uh, something that we can really read the numbers and say, this is how many minority members voted. This is how many uh, majority members voted. But by simply sitting in there and giving a voice vote and not even challenging the voice vote, having followed parliament and covered the house for, for many years, I do know that the voice votes is the discretion of the, the eardrums of the speaker. But you have the option of challenging that. You do not challenge it. So could it be said then that you are in cahoots with the majority side, but you just pretended? You challenge that based on the numbers. The numbers will tell you that when you call for a head count, you would win. You don't call for a head count just because you want, say, 20 people to vote yes, and then 15 will vote no, and it will be on record that 15 voted no. The essence of the head count is to challenge the decision of the speaker. And to say that, Mr. Speaker, you got it wrong, it is rather the minority side that carried the day. And so we want to be vindicated with a head count. Secondly, we've had a lot of walkouts, and people have also complained that no, sit in, protest, and let the records show that your voice was heard. And so having weighed all the options, I'm sure that the minority leader, Leonardo Kessela Tofoson, who is quite experienced in parliament, thought that we should stay, first of all, state our position so it is captured in the hands that, but more importantly, when it gets to the voice vote, and I'm sure City TV covered it, you would have noticed that the minority side did indeed uh, raise our voice to say no. We wanted a head count initially, if you look at proceedings. Honorable Boas stood up and insisted that the voice vote should be taken and we're ready for a head count. But the speaker refused. The speaker declined and insisted that he was not going to take it because at that time, the majority side had not marshaled uh, their numbers. So if there's anybody to be blamed, it cannot be the minority side. We have gone for similar votes in the past. And I just gave you examples with the taxes. And you and I know the outcome of those votes. So I think that we are well grounded. We did the right thing. We believe that the taxes are unnecessary. For a country that has defaulted in honoring its debt, you don't go about borrowing and piling the debt uh, when you can't even borrow existing loans. Ghana government has defaulted on almost all its debt obligations, including that of Ghana. Even those the government claimed were exempted, uh, government has defaulted and is not honoring the coupon payments. I see. When the deputy minister says to us that this is nothing new, um, can you please take away the politics and explain to us why this would be an addition to the national debt and not part of the existing debt already, which has just been ratified by Parliament? 
the deputy minister has been very, very disingenuous, uh, to say the least. Uh, he should better go and read the the report that came from the committee. The committee says this is a loan agreement between the government of Ghana and the World Bank for two hundred million. Another one is with the IMF for about one fifty million. Another one for COVID for about sixty million. What he calls as on lending simply means that government will borrow and on lend it to another entity. That's what we call on lending. On lending means that I borrow and I onwardly lend it to you. So as far as the parties are concerned, government is a party to that agreement. If government wanted to lend directly to an entity, if an organization or a foreign entity wanted to lend directly to a government entity, they could have done so. ECG contract loans, Drilco contract loans, they don't call them on lending. On lending means that government is part. And if you continue liability, when these organizations fail to pay and it crystallizes, government is compelled to absorb that and account that onto the national accounting framework. That is why our debt to GDP has all of a sudden increased from about 79 to 104%. Because this government deliberately refused to capture certain national debts, like the Sinohydro facility, like the Daiki bond, and all those other extra bonds that they deliberately use creative accounting to put off the balance sheet. The IMF has suddenly come to tell them that no, that is not in accordance with the Public Financial Management Act. That is not in accordance with public accounting systems. Absorb them and put them back onto the national balance sheet. So all of a sudden, our debt to GDP has ballooned from about 79 to over 100%. So I think that John Kuma should take his time, learn from past experience, and move away from this narrative that has brought this country on its knees and that has brought such level of embarrassment to this country that today, when you go for international conferences, Ghana is used as a test case, an example of a bad way of managing the economy. That is not what we want. We've seen several IMF programs. This is the only IMF program that is so draconian that almost everybody has had to suffer for this government's inefficiency. He should get away from that because it won't help him at all. But can you explain to me why there's emergency added to COVID-19 and there's a loan for that? What is that about? That is exactly why we refuse to be part of it. Even the past approvals that we gave, the previous approvals, have not been well accounted for. And Auditor General's report is clear. If you read that Auditor General's report, it tells you that those COVID funds were misapplied, underutilized, and not properly managed. So if past experience is anything to go by, we do not even see why we need the system. Most countries have gone past COVID and are doing very, very well. Ghana has decided that it will get bogged down by a so-called COVID pandemic, misused resources. And the interesting thing is that most of those loans, they have grace periods. Grace periods means that you wouldn't pay for a certain period of time. And most of them are around five years. So this government, Tenor uh, Forretta's minister, would not pay anything out of this loan. It is rather President Mahama and his government, when we took over, in uh, 2025, then we will have to be preparing to pay most of these loans that they are contracting now. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's uh, Yape Kuso, Member of Parliament, former Deputy Minister of Power, the Honorable John Abdullah Jinapur. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, who is doing what on the campaign trail. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra, around the globe on citynewsroom.com. Let's go on the campaign trail now. Former President John Mahama is seeking re-election as flag bearer of the NDC and then subsequently uh, re-election as president of the country. He's currently on a campaign tour to the Upper East region, uh, the region that hosted the May Day celebrations. He spoke about a number of things. Uh, key among them, he touched on the free senior high school with the proposal that he's making. Listen to him. system could have been targeted at the poorest families and households in our country and so that they could use that bursary and go to the school of their choice and government will pay for their education while they are in that school. 
ladies and gentlemen, the time is now for us all to rise to the occasion and collectively agree as actors in the political and developmental space on the need to depoliticize the depoliticize issues of urgent priority, such as education delivery in our country. We all and it says that secondary education in its different forms, including technical and vocational education, shall be made generally available and accessible to all by every appropriate means, and in particular by the progressive introduction of free education. This is what our constitution says. Because the constitution wanted to make sure that when we introduce it, it will be sustainable. And so it says we should introduce it progressively. Unfortunately, for some populist reasons and for reasons of elections, somebody decided to implement it at once. That's former President Mahama. He also touched on Boko, uh, the conflict zone. This is his view on what is happening there. MPP comes into office, all these security issues boil up again. This is in office, we live in peace. As soon as they come, they'll destabilize everything. And so now look at what is happening, killings. And I wish to condemn the killing of innocent citizens by our military. Our military is supposed to protect us. We pay taxes to give them those weapons. And they're supposed to use the weapons to protect us, not to kill us. And so when we come, we'd like to find out what caused the death of those people. And we must make sure that their families are adequately compensated for their wrongful death. But I appeal to all factions. Boko and surrounding towns are very important commercial centers. And they generate a lot of economic activity. When there's this insecurity, there's no progress. That's former President John Dramani Mahama. Let me bring some of your messages. Uh, I doubt anything will happen to Atuisian. Uh, more persons than Atuisian should have been found guilty in this case. Nothing will happen to Atuisian. Ghana is truly a messed up country. That's a message that has come through. Uh, Babamu from Tamale Central also says, Kudos to the AG department for the job executed. Mr. Atuisian and his colleagues must face uh, the law. Um, Alex Kofi Yareni says, uh, My problem with these huge loan uh, loans is that it has become an albatross or they become an albatross on the neck of Ghanaians. I can't point out any meaningful impact of these loans either. Akapo Jr. from Hafomim says, I can't fathom why the House, especially the opposition, keeps approving the loans when they are really when they really know and appreciate the fact that our debt profile is not sustainable. Well, the minority says it was not part of it. I'm beginning to suspect kickbacks. That's what you are saying. Nanapoku from Isium says they will praise the court when it favors them, but when it goes against them, they accuse the court of being influenced by government. Other politicians should learn from Honorable Blackwa and do the needful because no one is bigger than our beloved country, Ghana. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. Do send your message to 0549986996. Let's go to some other stories now, Akuzia. The management of Tamale Teaching Hospital says it is investigating an incident that led to an alleged assault of a patient and her relative at the hospital. In a viral video, a woman is seen to have fallen to the ground with some eyewitnesses supporting her to stand on her feet. It could be heard in a voiceover that a security man had denied access to a patient who was discharged and had gone to pay her bills upon her return. She was refused entry into the ward. Speaking to City News on the issue, the PRO for the hospital, Aliu Zuberu, said the hospital was in the process of setting up a committee to investigate the incident. I'm a preliminary uh, investigation indicates that the argument was the result of the patient relative forcing her way into the ward, which was against our laid down rules as to who goes into the ward at what time. Remember, we have visiting time for all the wards in the hospital. I'm sure this patient relative came outside the visiting hours. And so our security was just to try as a faith not to allow her in. And then in the process, that argument uh, came up. We have actually instructed all the 
wars to look out for uh, patient ladies that may come to check on their patient. And uh, even if it is outside the world, and sorry, the reason I was they should find a way of uh, assistance. And so beyond that, we will be glad to have a report. And like I mentioned earlier, in the report indicates that our staff did something wrong, would definitely would trigger our internal disciplinary processes, and uh, which includes taking the person through the code of conduct and uh, whatever uh, disciplinary action that is legally allowed, then we will not relax to go through that. Ali Zubair is speaking. Uh, he's the public relations officer for the Tamale Teaching Hospital. Let's go back to the campaign trail. We just brought you a soundbite from former President John Mahama, who is campaigning in the Upper East Region. Over the weekend, uh, Alan Kojo Chamantin um, embarked on a walk, uh, a drew soup walk, as he called it, in Accra. Uh, let's start base with other candidates. Um, the Honorable Esikado Keta, Member of Parliament, is Joe Gatti, his former de Attorney General, former Minister of Railways. He himself has been doing some work. Uh, he took his campaign out national to Canada, isn't it? Honorable Jogati, welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, sir. We have not seen you doing a walk in Accra. Instead, you went all the way to Canada. How is your campaign coming now? Well, at my campaign is coming up well. I mean, this is a time for, in my view, for the family meeting, if I can call it that. We are going to a very particular set of people who are going to um, vote in August, at the end of August. So our focus is there. I'm not criticizing anybody's campaign. I mean, you decide what you want to do, but my campaign team has decided at this time that uh, we will not do certain things. We will do them at the appropriate time for us. So you are doing an in-person campaign or you're meeting the groups and you're doing it on the choirs because you also need the media side of things, don't you? Yes, I mean, so I went to Canada. I think it's in the media. Uh, we went to Ahafu during the weekend. I think it's been a media tomorrow. The Ahafu meet, meeting was very good. I mean, they, I, I, well, after I finished talking to them, they were rather reminding me of uh, times that I come to Ahafu, uh, I think before 2020. And they were reminding me of Funas I attended, Valis uh, I attended, had assisted them in the past. And it was very exciting. Uh, that meeting broke into singing of uh, songs of praise because after I finished speaking, um, they seemed to have bought into the message quite well. Uh, I'm meeting greater Accra from there. I'll go to uh, um, uh, I'll go to Eastern Region Water. So we are working. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm a member of Parliament. So today, for example, I'm just coming out of Parliament. They called us back. I have to have a responsibility there too. So we are working according to. Um, uh, uh, parliamentary duties as well. So I have no uh, problem at all with how my campaign is going. The external branches also vote. Each external branch has three votes. I think together they have about 80 votes. And the good thing about the external branch is that I think that by virtue of where they are and what they do, they have some level of independence, if I should say that. If you ask me to expand on it, I won't expand on it. A word to the wise is enough. I see. I because I'm not Jesus. But Jesus said he was the athlete here. And so I had an excellent meeting with them. They caused them me for about two hours on the various sectors. The economy was their main concern, which is the main concern of a lot of Ghanaians. And after I finished talking to them, they wrote a letter to me, <laughs> an interesting letter, which they said that they could see that I was a visionary, charismatic, and a humble, servant-like leader. And they thought that if I was given the opportunity, I can take Ghana onto the path of prosperity. That was the attitude. I unsolicited a letter from them, signed by their secretary. So as far as I'm concerned, my campaign is moving on well and according to plan. I see. The ineffective real sector of Ghana would continue to be an albatross around your neck, considering that you were the first minister for that sector in the Akufado government. The fact that there are no trains running would be attributed to you, whether or not you are the current minister. The fact that there's no sky train in the air over the circle interchange would be attributed to you, uh, whether or not you are the current minister. 
How do you hope to disentangle yourself from, from that albatross? Well, well, first of all, I, I, I know if you hadn't brought us to guy to it, I would have given me an award. Because I know every time I talk to you, you bring it up. I think you have been, some people have uh, organized uh, for you to continue to bring it up. I think that it will perhaps uh, let me uh, yeah. vanish from the sea. But I F- fun, Funny enough, those people are from Esikado, very, very close to your yeah. home. So yeah. I, I, you have to I, take I, it up I, with I them. I want to assure you that I want to assure you that whether the people are from Escado are from uh, the eastern region where you come from, uh, it will not run away. Greater Accra. Uh, Please don't think I'm from Greater Accra. Greater Accra, okay, sorry. First of all, I've said it time and time again that we we signed the necessary documents and I wasn't going to sign. And we all know that when you sign an agreement to somebody, it has, it's subject to all kinds of approvals, including parliamentary approval, including approval by cabinet, including PP and so on. I wasn't going to sign a fixed-term agreement without a, a fixed feasibility study, which told me the exact amount of the thing. I'm a lawyer. You, Amara Sano, would have been the first person to ask me that. So when they gave me a pre-feasibility that did not have a fixed-term, what did I say? And the agreement that we signed is clear. And what I said at that time is clear. And I have no regrets whatsoever. If I today I have to sign another agreement like that, I'll sign another agreement like that. The people are supposed to come and do a full feasibility study in 2020, and COVID came, and they didn't come to the country. I didn't say I'm going to go to Skyte. In any event, the Skyte did $2 billion. It was not government of Ghana's money. It was a foreign investor who was come to do BOT. So the guy does not fulfill on this end. Me, as the protector, as the minister, and the person who protect the interests of Ghana, I cannot sign over contracts to people for them to go and look for money abroad. They have to convince me that <laughs> they have satisfied the conditions before I can take it to government. Whenever I take it to come, they will ask me questions. So what we signed had condition precedence, what they call CP. And I think it had about 11 condition precedence. And if you don't fulfill it, nothing will happen. In any event, even if it had gone to parliament, me and you know that XTS went to parliament. Professor Atamos said famously that he was sending his vice president to go and kneel the head. After they came to parliament to approve it, it didn't come out. Me and you know about Hope City, which was announced. So that was, I mean... If you tell me that Sky City will hang around my neck, there are more things hanging around that people speak. And when they come to the I will speak. Mm. I come to the railway sector, please. Mm. You ask me a question, let me answer. Mara, I know you. Go ahead. Let me answer the question. You ask me about the railway sector. <laughs> Listen, when I was minister, the trains were moving. Before COVID, the Tema, Tema line was moving. And then Takwadi <laughs> Takwa line was moving. I can send you videos. It stopped because of COVID. After COVID and even come to this new minister, the question was that, should we continue uh, operating the old gate, the narrow gate, or we should just change everything to standard gate? And let me tell you, instead of buying new land and acquiring new land, if you go to Western region, for example, they are changed, their standard gate is on the same land that the narrow gate was on. And as I speak to you, what happened was that it was agreed that we cannot continue to run the trains. They must stop once we complete the line. <laughs> so we are moving to Sanagi. If you want us to run, I'm sure if you want the minister to run the old trains, which run at 20, 25 miles per hour, it will continue to run. But moved, we are moving to Sanagi. It was during my era, Sanagi was first lead in the country. Just like standard gate. And so standard gate will take some time for it to be done. And it's being done. So I don't have a problem with that at all. And I can come to your studio and answer all the questions of the way. And I don't find it as an arbitrage around my neck. I find it as a blessing. Very well. Because when I went to Ahafu, please, Omar, please, don't call me. Yeah, mama, call, when you call me, let me answer. When I went to Ahafu, they said to me that if you become president and you do the railway alone, we shall never forget you. I was serving. When I become president, I will take the decisions. And the railway will be my priority. Okay, can I come in now with my final question? Um, Please, the, po- now. the polls have been coming. Um, they are putting Dr. Baumia Alankoni Chomantin and your friend from Fantiland, Kene Japong, as a top three. You are not in the top three. How hopeful are you I, that you can you can uh, you can you obtain know, things before before your primaries in November? The polls were coming in on a strong time, and he said famously that the only poll that is important is the election. You have even talked about 20, uh, November. Let's look at the August election first. Then we come to November. The only poll, Mara, that is important is the election. 
And, you know, I mean, posts, people do fake posts, they do, I mean, all kinds of things. Even the kind of questions they ask. I know a poll that they asked. They were asking that they mentioned two names between X and Y. Who do you think will win? I mean, even the question that they asked for both, well, you, I thought you knew better than that. I mean, I'm surprised that you asked this question. You don't believe in the polls? You don't trust them? The only poll is the poll that happens on the election day. If EIU conducts a poll tomorrow and says that you are in the lead, would you trust it? The only poll I trust is the poll that is done on election day, the vote. And from what I know, and from the experience I have, even on the last day, this can change. Very well. I've been to too many elections to see. Very well. Uh, we'll be following this closely, and then, of course, your campaign as well. And then, um, if there's need to call you again, which I know there will be so many needs to do that, I would invite you again into our studio, sir. Please. And when you invite me, I have you have my permission to ask your two first questions. Where will we and SkyTrade? I'll answer them again. I will constantly remind you. Thank you so much. That's <laughs> <a> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful you too. That's honorable Jogati. He's a Keta member of parliament, former attorney general and um, NPP flag bearer. Hopeful. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Up next, Nathalie Nete is in studio to bring us uh, business news. There will be no point blank tonight because we have an EPO game coming mm -hmm. up between Arsenal and uh, Chelsea. I'm not interested in any of them, um, but I think Chelsea should just lose. Just to make me happy. My name is Umaru Sandamado. I did this with uh, Kosia Autry. Production by Wells in Kobna and uh, Beverly London, as well as Fred Tete Javano. Technical support from Daniel Squashi. Edwin Kwakufi helped us with the new media side of things. Good night. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netilinete Ajahu. Let's settle for the details now. The Ghana Association of Banks has re-emphasized the need for financial institutions to adopt environmentally, social, and governance principles in their practices in order to attract investments. The association explains that ESG assets are now first in line to attract bigger funding and investments as companies that incorporate these principles into their strategy have gained several benefits, including increased market trust and value for shareholders. Johnny Wise, the CEO of the Ghana Association of Banks, and he's been speaking on the issue. We are at a point in the life cycle of financial institutions across the world where, as a financial institution, your ability to even attract funding has um, been marked in your compliance on years. So it is not just for the environment, which is the most important part of it, but it's actually a survival issue for us. And that is why, since the launch of the sustainable banking principles, uh, where we work very well with Bank of Canada, uh, EPA, uh, and the support of ICE, to launch the seven principles, which, as we speak, though we've not gone through the whole cycle of training program from principle one all the way to uh, principle seven, we, working through the banks, um, started in the implementation in one way or the other. So we don't wait until the, the, the training program is fully embedded within our DNA. So clearly, from principle one, that is the identification, measurement, and monitoring of the impact of our lending activity on the environment. That was the CEO of the Ghana Association of Banks, John Iwa. The National Communications Authority has assured Ghanaians that the SIM register has not been breached. This comes after some Ghanaians complained that other phone numbers were linked to the Ghana card after checking with the short code given by the NCA. Speaking to City News Director for Consumer and Corporate Affairs at the NCA, Nana Defye Bidu, advised Ghanaians to report their service providers to get any unknown phone numbers disconnected from the Ghana card. With this SIM registration exercise, we can actually trace and, and identify the agents who have um, done the registrations for the MLOs. In fact, even before the SIM registration exercise, I believe that the 
MNOs had a system where they were able to trace these agents because um, they were paid on some form of um, commission basis based on their um, supply chain. So we actually can identify them. And the NTA will um, be working with the MNOs to address this. I'd like to take this opportunity to assure consumers and the general public that the SIM registration or the SIM register has not been breached. What happened was that people actually, they, these unscrupulous agents, used people's um, Ghana cards to do the star 404. That was the first stage of the registration after they had done the legacy registration. That was the Director for Consumer and Corporate Affairs at the NCA, Nana Defie Pidu. President Akufuado has reaffirmed government's position on the zero VAT on locally manufactured vehicles in the country. This, he believes, will create an enabling environment for private investors to partner government on its development agenda in the automobile industry. Speaking at the official opening of the Rana Motors Assembly Plant in Amasaman, President Akufuado assured of government's commitment to make Ghana a leader in the automobile industry. I've charged the Minister for Finance upon the resumption of Parliament to submit the required legislative instrument proposing the implementation start date for these outstanding provisions of the Act. Implement. The implementation of these outstanding provisions will trigger the full implementation of the Ghana Automotive Development Policy and drive further investment into the industry. We will continue to do our part to position Ghana as strategic partner in helping the continent achieve the target of assembling 1.5 million vehicles per annum by the end of 2023, as projected by the Association of African Automobile Manufacturers, and to take advantage of the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, whose Secretariat is located in our capital of Accra, to exploit the bigger African market domestically President Akufaru speaking there. And that's it for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netele Nete Ajahu. Have a good evening. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.